Now we're going to talk a little summary of what we learned on Monday. Now, if you remember, we finished on Monday talking about Adam and Eve. And um, on Monday, we finished talking that in the story of Adam and Eve, we know they sinned and we know disobedience was the problem. But then I presented a bigger problem was the fact that what they did afterwards and they didn't know their ABCs. And I said before, that book is out there, everything I've ever needed to know in life I learned in kindergarten. And you could say that here, your ABCs. That is the most important thing that you can learn and know in your life. And what are they to refresh your memory? A, ask for God's mercy. We cannot get to heaven, scripture tells us, if we do not repent and ask for forgiveness, the mercy of God. B, be merciful to each other. That is the tenet of the gospel. God says, be, you know, honor your God, love your God, love your neighbor. We must be merciful to each other. And I use the example of Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, that we must be merciful to each other where we don't get into heaven. To the goats, he said, sorry, away with you into the eternal fire. We don't want that. And then C, completely trust in God's mercy. This is the biggie. This is where everything rolls up. When you trust God, you do his will. And on that previous slide, I showed you the whole Bible summarized in one slide. The whole Bible, it is a love story. It starts with a wedding, Adam and Eve, and it ends with a wedding. The last book of Revelation, the last book of the, God, of the Bible is Revelation. And that's the story of the wedding feast of the Lamb. What goes on at Mass is a wedding feast. What goes on is eternal nuptial love between Christ the groom and we his bride. So this is what the Bible is. It's a wedding feast of the Lamb. But then I went into the great commandments, love God, love your neighbor. This can all be wrapped up into one thing, do the will of God. But the only way we could do the will of God is if we trust him. And so we are going to focus on trust. Jesus said that all grace is received by the vessel of trust. He said, trust is the vessel by which all grace is received. You want to get to heaven? You need grace. You want grace? You got to have trust. It's just that simple, but yet just that difficult. Okay, so now we're ready to begin the last night, and this is where it all comes together with St. Faustina and God's mission for the end of the world. All right, now. This message of mercy, these ABCs, have been trying to be given by our Lord since the very beginning. Since Adam and Eve, God has been trying to give us this message of mercy. This, <clears throat> oops, I'm sorry, I got to hit record here. Since the very beginning, God has been trying to give us this message of divine mercy, this message of mercy that we call the ABCs. As I said, a lot of people think that divine mercy is optional. Father, it's a Polish nun promulgated by a Polish pope. I'm not Polish. I don't need this. Uh-uh. Pope Benedict said divine mercy is the nucleus of the gospel. This is the heart of the gospel, these ABCs. In other words, you have all three of these, you will get to heaven. You're missing any of these three, you won't. Now, of course, assumed in all this is your acceptance of the love of God. That's really the C 
completely trust. So people would say, Father, well, what about you have to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's what you need to get to heaven. That's all part of trust, okay? And so God has been trying to give us this message of divine mercy from the very beginning, since Adam and Eve. Have we listened? Well, to get us to listen, God has been raising up great prophets and saints to give us this message of mercy since the very beginning. He's risen up throughout the centuries, stalwarts in the church, the Augustans and the, and the Aquinases, and all these that have brought us God's message of mercy. This is what God has been doing over the centuries. But like the Israelites, we're stiff-necked, we're stubborn, and we don't necessarily listen. So God over the centuries has been giving us this over and over and raising up these prophets and saints, and we've been stubborn and not listening. Finally, our Lord basically says, that's it. I'm done. Now, he didn't use those exact words, but in essence, that's what he meant when he said, you, St. Faustina, will prepare the world for my final coming. In essence, that's what I mean by I'm done. The end is now being prepared for by Christ's own words through this little nun that John Paul II described as nobody from nowhere. But isn't that who God usually works through? Isn't that who God, you know, this nun was picked for this huge task she was a simple nun living a simple life. But this isn't who you would expect God to pick, isn't it? Well, look at who God has picked throughout the years, through the centuries. You know, when Jesus came to earth, he could have changed the world overnight if he would have picked Herod and Caesar. But did he? No, he picked a bunch of broken fishermen and a tax collector. You know, Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector, technically they should have killed each other. Because a zealot's job was to defend and any defend any Israel against any traitor. And tax collectors were traitors. They should have killed each other. You know, God again doesn't pick who you would expect. He picks the broken, the weak, to shame the strong. You know, it's funny because you ever see, you ever go to Rome and you see those hulking statues of Saint Paul? And he's this big monstrous guy with this lightning bolt and holding the scriptures and flexing his muscles. And he's this big hulking figure. You know, they have documentation of the truth. St. Paul was ball headed, bow legged, hook nosed and four foot eight. <laughs> that was St. Paul. And he changed the world. What about Moses? Same thing, go to Rome and this big, commanding presence, this great orator, I have spoken. Moses stuttered so bad they could barely understand him. He couldn't even hardly enunciate. And he said, Lord, I can't do this. And the Lord said, oh, yes, you will. He said, no, use my brother. And God said, uh-uh, I'm using you. You see, God doesn't use those who we think are great and powerful by the world standards. Remember David, when they saw all the brothers and all these, oh, handsome and, 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 and dynamic brothers, and they said, well, we got this other little scrawny one out there in the, 
in the field. Well, and he ended up coming in. What did it say in scripture? He really was handsome and commanded a presence. You see, God can bring that about. So anyway, this is who God works for. And as John Paul II says, God used this little one to change the world. So I want to start with a little brief video of who St. Faustina was, and it's only a minute, little over a minute long. Assured of what she must do, Faustina left for Warsaw at once. There she was rejected at every convent door except one, the Congregation of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy, a religious order dedicated to helping prostitutes reform their lives. After Faustina entered the Sisters of Mercy, her superior, in her notes, assessed the new novice as no one special and put Faustina to work to pay for her religious clothing. She was a simple, uneducated nun with just three grades of elementary schooling. She rarely left the convent and performed the most mundane tasks. Her life appeared so ordinary on the outside. She was busy working and spent part of her time in the chapel. Every day she met the same people. Her day had the same rhythm. So on the outside, she led a dull, humdrum existence. Beneath her perceived dull existence, Faustina's deep inner life overflowed with extraordinary mystical graces, divine revelations, and heavenly visitations. Christ began appearing frequently to her in visions, sometimes as the King of Mercy, resplendent in light and majesty. At other times, he appeared as the tortured, crucified Christ. At the request of her spiritual director, Faustina began privately to record these mystical experiences in a diary. On the screen, you can see the diary. If you heard me reference the last three nights, the diary, this is it. You see, God or Jesus, when he appeared to St. Faustina, started giving her all these messages and he instructed her to write it down. Now, this is a nun who could barely read and write. She didn't even know proper grammar. She wrote everything phonetically. You know who translated that diary into all the other languages? Our Marian priests. Okay, there's God calling again to tell everybody to turn off their cell phone. Okay, so what we have is a situation where Jesus is telling her, write this down. And our Marian priest translated these and it was, it took years because it was a phonetic mess. She had one big sentence. The whole book was one sentence. She didn't even use punctuation. So what is this diary? And in the essence, I'm going to summarize this diary the same way I did the Bible in one basic way. This diary is where God or Jesus gave St. Faustina five new channels of grace by which to introduce to the world for the purpose of reawakening the ABCs. You see, the ABCs, the message of mercy, are how you will be judged. Devotions, which these five new channels, are what we call the devotion of divine mercy. These five new channels of grace given by Jesus to St. Faustina are what we call the devotion of divine mercy. The feast, again, remember it with the little acronym Finch. F-I-N-C-H, like the little bird. And 
This is the diary that he gave it to her. All of these came through her and she recorded. F-I-N-C-H, like I said, the little bird. F is the feast of divine mercy. I is the image of divine mercy. N is the novena of divine mercy. C is the chaplet of divine mercy. And H is the hour of mercy, which is what time? Three o'clock in the afternoon. All right. Now, in 1931, Jesus started to appear to her to give her these new channels of grace. Now, I have a question. In the Catholic Church, are devotions optional or mandatory? In other words, do you technically have to pray the rosary in order to get to heaven? Not technically, but we strongly re recommend you do. Why? Because it's congruent with the gospel. And it's the story of the gospel, which is needed for heaven. Now, what we have, if devotions are optional, why mess with this? Why even bother? Just go straight to the message of mercy. Father, you told me the ABCs are all I need. Why mess with all this stuff? Okay, you will be judged by the ABCs. That's kind of like an athlete. As has been proven, the greatest NFL football player of all time, Barry Sanders, you know, I'm from Detroit. <laughs> he was only judged how he did in the game. He was never judged how he did in practice. But do you think he ever went into a game without having practiced? Uh-uh. Your ABCs are game time. That's how you will be judged as any great athlete. And Paul says in the scriptures, we are athletes. We are running to win the crown. Now you will be judged how you do on your ABCs. That's game time. But do you want to enter the game without having practiced? Uh-uh. You need practice. I need practice. This is the practice of the devotion of divine mercy. The feast, the image, the novena, the chaplet, and the hour of mercy. And that's, I'm going to spend the whole time to the break just talking about the feast. Then we'll take our break and these other ones I can do much faster. The feast is the big one. Now, if we look the fact that is divine mercy optional, because we hear this from priests all the time. You know, Father, you don't need to come to our parish. We're, we're fine. We don't need another devotion. We've already got a devotion to St. Therese. God bless St. Therese, but she's not God, okay? Divine mercy is not just a devotion. And even when it, you look at the devotion, it's a devotion to God. And in one sense, you could even argue devotions to God are not optional. Devotions to St. Therese are optional. But a devotion to God is not optional. We must, and that's what this is. But you can take it one step farther and say, divine mercy is not just a devotion, it's also a message. And that message is the heart of the gospel, as we've been saying all along. All right, so divine mercy is both a message and a devotion. Tonight, we're talking about the devotion. So let's start with F, the Feast of Divine Mercy Sunday. Okay, this is Stockbridge. Here's our outdoor shrine. This is our monastery. 25,000 people come every Divine Mercy Sunday. You see Giuseppe and me, we're right over here. See us? <laughs> we're right here. This is Stockbridge, and this is what we do every Divine Mercy Sunday. This is powerful. All right, my first question is, when is Divine Mercy Sunday? The Sunday after Easter. All right? 
why is it not October 5th, Giuseppe's birthday? Why is it not July 26th, my birthday? Why isn't it your birthday? Why did Jesus tell St. Faustina, Divine Mercy Sunday has to be on this day? What day? The Sunday after Easter. Why did Jesus say it has to be on that day? Okay. Very, very important. Now, we as Christians come from the Jews. And the Jews have a tradition that when a feast was so big that it couldn't be celebrated over eight days, excuse me, over one day, it would be celebrated over eight days. And anybody know what that's called? An octave. An octave. An octave is an eight-day celebration of a gigantic feast as one celebration. It's like an eight-day party. Now, we used to have many octaves in our Catholic faith. We had the octave of Pentecost, the octave of Corpus Christi. We had a bunch of them. How many octaves do we have in the church today? Two. Good, I heard it. Two. What are they? Christmas and Easter. Those are our two octaves. Now, let's look at them. Let's start with Christmas. When does Christmas begin? And don't you dare say the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> that is not Christmas. That is Advent, a totally different season. When does Christmas begin? Okay, it technically begins on Christmas Day. Or if you celebrate Vespers, it's Christmas Eve. But the point is the Christmas season. So if you, God bless you, but if you're one of those that put your lights up and all your decorations up the day after Thanksgiving, and then you take your tree and take it down on Christmas Day, you got it completely backwards, okay? We are supposed to celebrate Christmas on Christmas Day, and it goes all the way through the baptism. That's the Christmas season. Or you can look at the 12 days of Christmas, which goes to the Epiphany. Well, you know the 12 days of Christmas song? Or you can look at the octave of Christmas, which is what? Okay, the octave of Christmas begins on Christmas Day, the 25th of December, day one, the 26th, the 27th, the 28th, the 29th, the 30th, the 31st, January 1st, the eighth day. Now, why do we go to church every year on January 1st, no matter what day of the week it is? to pray that Michigan wins the Rose Bowl. <laughs> yes. No. What's the solemnity? Mary, the mother of God. The reason you can't separate the birth of Jesus from Mary, the mother of God. January, or excuse me, December 25th, the birth of Jesus, and January 1st, Mary, the mother of God. They are connected. You can't separate them. They are a beautiful octave, the octave of Christmas. Now, what's the biggest octave we have in the church? Easter. When does the Easter octave begin? Easter Sunday, day one. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Divine Mercy Sunday, the eighth day. This is why Jesus says it has to be on that day because it completes the octave of Easter. This is the most important thing we have in our church. And what's going on? 
is the eighth day. Now, what's the perfect number to the Jews? Seven. So we just missed it, right? No. What's the number seven, the perfect number to the Jews? What does it represent? Yeah, time, eternity, no, excuse me, time, creation. That's what the number seven represents to the Jews. Time, creation. But what does the number eight represent to the Jews? Eternity. Eternity. So guys, here it is. This is where it all comes together. On Easter Sunday, day one, Jesus opened the door to heaven. This is Easter Sunday. The next seven days are symbolic of your pilgrimage called life. You are going to spend the next seven symbolic days wandering around in this valley of tears. You're going to be like the Jews wandering around in the desert, literally. You're here in Palm Desert, or Desert, <laughs> Palm Desert. You are here, literally in this life, wandering around in the desert. Now, what were the Jews looking for? The promised land. What should we be focused and our eyes be focused on during your entire life on this earth? The promised land. And what is the promised land for you and me? Heaven. Heaven. Now, you got seven days to do it symbolically. That's your pilgrimage called life. Now, what happens on the eighth day? You will enter into eternity. Now, when you enter into eternity, here's where Christ, as we said on Monday, and this is very important, will come for his bride. You see, when you enter into eternity on symbolically the eighth day, Christ is going to come for you, and he wants you to be his bride. That's exciting, but are we ready? You see, here's the thing. Jesus was a Jew, and what did every Jewish man want his bride to be before he took her home to meet his mother and his father? Spotless. Spotless. So on the eighth day, you are going to be prepared to meet your spouse, your wedding, your groom. And as we said on Monday, your wedding dress is your soul. Now, the only way that that groom is going to be able to take his bride up to meet his mother and his father for the great wedding feast is if that bride is spotless. Anybody want to raise their hand? and say, yes, Father, I am spotless. <laughs> so we got a little problem here. And God knows in his infinite mercy that we like to play in the mud. So what do we do? Well, there's two types of stains that need to be cleaned up on this wedding garment. The first stain that could be on our wedding garment is an easy one to wash away. What is that first stain that could be on your wedding garment? Sin. And how is sin washed away? In the confessional. This is an easy one to wipe away. You go to the confessional and get cleansed of your sin. 
the first great stain that could be on your wedding garment is sin, and that is wiped away in confession. That priest, when he says you are forgiven by Jesus' command, heaven has to follow the priest. Can you fathom that? Heaven has to follow the priest. If the priest says you are forgiven, heaven has to forgive you. So this is why God says to go to the confessional so that you have that guarantee that you are forgiven. Don't you want the guarantee? Yes, and it's in scripture. Go to the book of James. James says to those of you who have sinned, when you have sinned and you need to be forgiven, go to the priests. Please go to confession. Don't be afraid. So do not be afraid of the confessional, okay? So that's the first stain on our wedding garment. What's the second stain that could be on our wedding garment? When you come out of the confessional, your sin is forgiven, guaranteed. But what about the punishment? What about the punishment? Now, I hate to use that word, punishment, because it's really, it's a word the church uses, but I don't like it. I like to use the word more loving discipline. It's kind of like the father who tells the son not to play baseball in the yard because he's going to break the window. And then dad goes to work. Son's friends come over. They play baseball. Son hits a line drive right through the window. Dad comes home, sees the broken window, looks at son with his head down and says, son, I forgive you. And the son says, yes. <laughs> but then the father says, but you're grounded for two weeks and you're paying for this out of your allowance. How do I know this? I was that boy. <laughs> now, what we have is loving discipline. Please do not think you are doing your child a favor by not disciplining him or her. Please do not think that. You know, I said before, my dad was a Vietnam Marine. Man, did we have discipline in that house. And you know what? Probably the most thankful thing I am to my father, other than taking me to mass on Sunday, is the fact that when I got into the real world, I realized the world did not revolve around me. Because man, my dad sure proved to me at home the world did not revolve around me. <laughs> if we don't discipline our children, they think the world revolves around them. The sad thing is when they get out into the real world and discover the world doesn't revolve around them, they're gonna have a difficulty. So please, don't think you're doing your child a favor. Loving discipline is a grace, and God does it to us. So, when you come out of that confessional, your sin is forgiven. But what about that punishment or loving discipline? Is that punishment, is that gone, or does that remain? I hear gone, gone, like a baseball game. Gone, gone, gone. The eternal punishment due to sin, a.k.a. hell, is gone. Once you're forgiven in the confessional, you no longer face the fires of hell. It is gone. Heaven is your destination, eventually, even if you have to go through purgatory. But you no longer face the fires of hell. 
But what about the temporal punishment due to sin, a.k.a. purgatory? Is that gone or does that remain? Most likely it remains. Unless you have absolutely perfect contrition. Unless you're in that confessional and you're on your hands and knees and you're bawling your eyes out and you have never been so sorry in your whole life and you are begging God and you are telling him you cannot believe you've done this and you are so sorry and you are never going to do it again and in fact you don't do it again and in fact you say to the Lord, I cannot believe I have hurt you like this. No fear of hell, but you are simply upset that you offended our good and loving God. Then you got perfect contrition. How many of you have ever reached that? <laughs> I have one time in my whole life and I'm a priest. One time in my life. And it changed my life. One time. If you reach that level of contrition, yeah, the temporal punishment due to sin is gone as well. Now, the church has a couple ways that they give us that we can get. I'm getting close to the break, so hang with me. The church gives us a couple ways that we can get rid of not only the sin, but also the temporal punishment due to sin. Does anybody know what the church gives as a way to do that? Plenary indulgence. Plenary means full. Indulgence is the gift to remit not only the sin, to forgive the sin, but also all the punishment. Now, plenary indulgence are beautiful. I've been saying every night, you can get one for coming to this mission. So you can get a plenary indulgence today. And what does a plenary indulgence do? You can offer it up for a holy soul, your loved ones, or yourself to be forgiven of all your sins and punishment. Now, what I normally do is the first 29 days of the month, I offer it up for all the holy souls. The last day of the month, I do it for myself. It's plenary indulgence. It wipes away not only the sin, but all the punishment. Now, there are many hundreds of plenary indulgences that you can do, several, but I'm going to give you the big four. You can do any time, any place. One, praying the rosary inside a church, chapel, or with another person. When you do that, you can get a plenary indulgence. Notice I say can. That's why when my brothers, when Giuseppe picks me up from the airport at uh, midnight, and I make him pray the rosary, he's like, oh, Father, I've already prayed three today. I'm tired. I'm like, I don't care. You're praying another one. <laughs> Isn't that charitable? Because I, I, I want us both to get the plenary indulgence. Now, what's another one? Anybody? Yes, okay. So let's go down the line here. The answer was correct. We have praying the rosary inside church or travel with another person. Do you know that a half an hour of adoration can be a plenary indulgence? That is whether the Lord is in the tabernacle or exposed in a monstrance, doesn't matter that you're in the presence of the, God, of the Lord. Another one, walking the stations of the cross. Not just Fridays, not just in Lent, any day, you can get a plenary indulgence. And the last one, you can get on your couch at halftime. <laughs> Anybody know what that one is? Half an hour, yeah, so for Michigan game, it's a double plenary indulgence. No, it's a half an hour of scripture if you read a half an hour of scripture. Now, I just gave you the four big plenary indulgences, but to get that full plenary indulgence of the forgiveness of sin and punishment, you also have to do four conditions. Now, please don't look at this. I had one guy come up to me after my talk one time and he said, Father, this is the problem with the church. 
all these rules and regulations. This is not a rule. This is not a regulation. This is extra credit. <laughs> you ever get in school where your grade wasn't where you wanted it and you went up to the teacher and you said, hey man, my, my grade's not too good. Is there something else I could do some extra credit? He says, okay, go ahead and write this paper on this topic and I'll give you some extra credit. It's not a rule. He wasn't required to do it. It was an extra grace. So our church gives us, it's not a rule. It's not an extra uh, requirement. It's a grace. So our church gives us this. Now, when you do the plenary indulgence, four things must be done. Does anybody know what the conditions are? Okay, we'll get to that one. Okay, Holy Communion. You have to receive Holy Communion for that indulgence. But before that, you need to go to confession. That's the other requirement. So really the first is confession. And how many days before or after the plenary indulgence do you go to confession? Everybody says eight. Since the Jubilee year of 2000, the congregation of the doctrine of the faith has said about 20 days. 20 days. Now, confession, communion. Somebody yelled out prayers for the Holy Father. Usually you can do that. Our Father, hail Mary, and a glory be. So far, so good, right? Not too bad, right? I think all of us can do that, right? Pretty good. But what's the last condition that sinks most all of us? No attachment to sin, even venial. Good luck with that one. <laughs> if you're like me, you're still gluttonous at the dinner table, you're still impatient with your employees, you still struggle with thoughts in your mind, purity of intention, you know what, we're broken. So it's really hard. Does that mean we shouldn't do a plenary indulgence? No, what it means is you at least get a partial and pennies equal dollars. <laughs> okay, let's wrap up here, I'm getting close. Now the Bible gives us a way that we can wipe away all our sin and punishment. What is it? Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. But you better do it with perfect love. So if your prayer goes something like this, dear Lord, please change my husband. <laughs> That's probably not perfect love. Or if you're like my mom on fasting, my mom says, hey, I kind of like this fasting thing. I lost 10 pounds. I look really good. I think I'm going to do it again. That's not perfect love or almsgiving. If you give Monsignor a nice big check and Monsignor looks at it and he says, oh, thank you very much. And he's walking away and you say, oh, wait, Monsignor, uh, when do you want to take my picture for the front page of the bulletin? <laughs> That's not perfect love. So you see, the church gives us ways that we can wipe away that second stain of punishment. We can do a plenary indulgence, but you better have no attachment to sin. That's a little tough. Or you can do prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, but you better have perfect love. That's a little tough. So what do we do? God gives one more way. What is that one more way? Divine Mercy Sunday. This is for the rest of us. This is for us who are broken. This is for us who can't be perfectly detached from sin. This is for us who still do not have perfect love. Every one of us. What does Jesus say? Here it is, Diary 699. On that very day, the very depths of my tender mercy are open. What day? 
Divine Mercy Sunday, which is when? Sunday after Easter. The very depths of my tender mercy are open. I pour out a whole ocean of graces upon those souls who approach the fount of my mercy. Here it is. The extraordinary promise, and this is all you have to do to get it. The soul that will go to confession and receive holy communion shall obtain complete forgiveness of sins and punishment. Are you kidding me? Have any of you ever said, if I could just wipe my slate clean, if I could just, just start over, here it is. This is your chance. Father Seraphim says your soul will never be cleaner other than your, the moment of your original baptism than it is on Divine Mercy Sunday. Everything of your past is gone. Every stain of sin and every stain of punishment is gone. Now, it's not a magic wand. It's not a rabbit's foot. You can't say, well, hey, Father, this sounds really good. I'm going to continue to keep my affair going. I'm going to keep cheating on my taxes, embezzling money from work, and completely disregarding my children. But at least I can clean myself up here on this day. Doesn't work that way. You must have rectification of the will. I want to change my life, and I'm going to try to change my life. Notice the key word, try. Saints are simply sinners that keep on trying. That's all God is asking of you. But you know what? Any snake can crawl out of the gutter, go to confession, and receive Holy Communion. There's no condition in here that you have to be perfect. There's no condition that you can have no attachment to sin. There's no condition that you have to have perfect love. All it is, is the Lord saying, I want you to come back to the sacraments. All I want you to do is come back to the sacraments, and I'm going to give you this gigantic gift if you do. This is how I'm going to finish this section tonight. When you go to Divine Mercy Sunday, and it can be any Mass, it does not have to be a 3 o'clock prayer service with the chaplet. Any Mass, Saturday night or Sunday, and here's what it, you do. You simply receive Holy Communion. You go back to your pew, you kneel down, and you make a prayer like this. Lord, Je or in your own words, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, you promise St. Faustina that the soul that has been to confession, I have. So get there. Do you have to go on Divine Mercy Sunday? No, you can go anytime, starting today, as long as you are in a state of grace. You can go now, you can go next week, you can go on Divine Mercy Sunday, as long as you're in a state of grace. So you say to Jesus, you said the soul that's been to confession, I have, and the soul that receives Holy Communion, I just did, will receive the complete forgiveness of sin and all punishment. Lord, please give me this grace, and he will, or Jesus lied to us. And nobody is going to claim it. Divine mercy is simply coming back to the sacraments with a beautiful gift of the promise of you completely being cleansed from head to toe. This feast is for the rest of us, and it may make the difference in your salvation. Amen? Amen. Very good. God bless you, everybody. Thank you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. 
If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.